Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Make It Mentionable. I am super excited because this is another conversational episode where we're going beneath the surface. And this week's topic, we are talking about nourishment because there are many different ways that we can be nourished in our lives. One is with the food and the nutrients we consume, but also with relationships. And I thought this was a very timely topic as we're heading into the holiday season where we're around more family members generally and we're also around more food generally. And so how do we how do we balance and figure out exactly what we need to nourish ourselves during the craziness of a holiday season when we're navigating all of these things. And I have the perfect guest with me this week to talk about these things. Her name is Laura Gilmain, and she is a registered nurse, a mind-body coach, and also has dabbles in yoga, has a bunch of a bunch of things that she can bring to the table to add depth to this conversation. So Laura, thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to be here with you. I know you know that I'm a fan of the podcast, but I just feel so grateful to be a receiver of the conversation and a participant in it. So thanks for having me. Thank you. So so to dive in, you work with people around their relationships with food, right? Yes, absolutely. So what are some things that you see, like people come to you and, and, you know, emotional eating, I have definitely been guilty of that in the past. Like there, I think there's so much subconscious dynamics at play with food that, that people don't even realize. So what are some of the things that you see in terms of how we approach our relationship with food? Absolutely. So I too have a relationship with emotional eating. And I think that if everyone took some time to, you know, have a little introspection, I think it's a common human experience. And something that's so beautiful about naming it is it can kind of normalize it, tame it, neutralize it a bit, you know, just really honoring that emotions are a part of life. And we do take actions from our emotions. And it often ties back down to those anchor points, safety, security, love, belonging. And when we look at the way that emotional eating comes up for us, you just see it everywhere. You see people having goals and then they get to the end of their day and they say, why do I do the very thing I wish I didn't do? Or why didn't I do the very thing that I wanted to do? And a lot of times you can take it back to emotions. And we know that, you know, our stories that we tell ourselves create emotions and we either take actions, inactions, or reactions from our emotions. So if that's true, of course, food is sometimes going to be a part of the equation. And so I think bringing some of that allowance, that acknowledgement, can bring some levity to the table, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> yeah, I, I am a huge fan of naming things. That's why we talk about like naming parts on this 
show all all the time. But because when we can name stuff, it, it it allows us to see it then. It's like not operating under the surface. And then when we name it too, like we don't always have to take it on as an identity. Like I I would never advocate for someone like calling themselves, oh, like I'm an emotional eater. Like, no, sometimes you emotionally eat, but why does that have to be an identity? I'm like constantly, constantly promoting the shedding of identities so that we can like move more fluidly throughout the world. Mm. I love that so much. It actually speaks to a meditation that I did just this week. And it was this idea of the uh, prompts, if you will, were to just relate to the present moment. And she said things like, if you couldn't reach down and touch your toes, how many toes do you have? Do you even have toes? You know, if you couldn't go outside your door and check what is your address? You know, and she kept doing things like that. And my answer every time was, I'm not sure. I don't know. You know, and it would just me, it brought it back to this beautiful grounding sense of just pure presence, you know, and it's this idea. I am a person having a life experience and that includes having an emotional body, having a logical body, you know, a logical mind. And like you said, sometimes we eat emotionally. Sometimes we take totally different actions from our emotions. Sometimes people restrict because of their emotions. They hold back from food. So I love taking away like the identity labels. You know, we are all in flux. We are all in process. And I think that that brings so much more neutrality and relaxation to the experience when you don't feel like you're having to like detach yourself from an identity. Like, well, as if it was never your identity to begin with. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So you brought up something around, around emotions and like we take we take action as a result of our emotions. And sometimes we take a second to pause and so we can like respond instead of just reacting. But other times we just react. And a lot of times when we end up like, uh, like the thing for me, if, if, if anyone listening is on my email newsletter, the peel, I write about procrastinate snacking a lot. So I call it procrastinate snacking because like there are times, especially in the past where, when I didn't want to tackle something or where something felt difficult at work, it's like, oh, I'm going to avoid this because I have some underlying emotion going on, some resistance to getting this task done, especially if it was like something new that I was unsure about, or if the perfectionist was like coming in and wanting to take over. And then it was just easier. Like, okay, I'm going to go, (laughs) going to go to the fridge and distract myself from, from here. And so our emotions do fuel action. They fuel us to to do something. And so there are a lot of things that bring up emotions. Uh, work can be one, stress at work, but our families, our families hands down and our relationships absolutely bring up emotions. So, you know, Uncle Joe sitting at the the Thanksgiving table asking you who you're dating or what your love life is like, or if somebody's going to ask you if you're going to be pregnant again, like, like why do these have to be the questions that come up, you know? So, so in terms of the family dynamics and the emotions that come, that come up, what are some things that you have noticed around 
the emotional processing piece that can allow us you know, to be in these situations, but not just want to like ignore everything that's going on with a spoonful of delicious bourbon sweet potatoes in our mouth. Ooh, nice. <laughs> uh, I'm like totally, you painted such a vivid picture for me. I think we all can imagine ourselves at a table like this. And I would love to kind of speak, like you said, about that greater emotional context, as well as I totally have insight about procrastinate snacking. So let's put a little <laughs> pin there and maybe yes. we'll loop back around to it because I love that. And you know, the idea here is a lot of times we are taking action such as eating because this is the you know context of this conversation. And we're, we kind of almost seem stunned by it. Like, wait, I did it again. And mm-hmm. my loving encouragement to you is to stop being surprised by things that are patterns that are repetitive. It, we know our family members, you know, and we typically know what we're going to be walking into. And so we can really empower ourselves by being aware of that. And of course, just like we don't want to be held to past versions of ourselves, there's a chance that Uncle Joe is going to have a new storyline for you this year. But in the event that he leads with his same old, same old, it's almost like this sense of, there it is. I knew mm. it was going to come. So letting yourself, I almost call it like emotionally processing preemptively. Mm. So it's like preparing yourself for the table that you're going into. And that way you're more resilient for the experience. And so you can even say to yourself beforehand, like imagining who you're going to see, how is it that I want to respond to myself? No matter what I say to that family member, what is the message that I want to hold for me? Because sometimes taking Uncle Joe or whoever else's bait, like that's not the thing to do. Like we don't need to chase it, right? Mm -hmm. But the inner assurance, the care, you know, that safety, security, love and belonging, those are the things that we can return back to in ourselves, no matter what sort of deep dives or little side remarks are happening at these family events. Okay, I love this because there's there's so much power in taking a, a minute, and honestly, it doesn't have to be much longer than a minute, to craft how you want to show up somewhere. And, you know, there are many different ways to do visualization. And if you're a person who can see things clearly, then maybe visualization works really well. Maybe if you're a person who's more auditory, like saying it out loud, saying what you might want to say back um, can be so powerful because when we give ourselves a script, like we're not actually taught how to communicate well until we decide that we want to learn to communicate well, which usually comes as the result of something stupid happening and us getting triggered and we need a new resource for, for developing it. So we're not actually taught how to do those things. And so a lot of times, you know, we can build up anxiety, like, okay, we know we're going, someone who we've had difficulty with in the past or a chronic boundary crosser is at this table and we can build our, we can build up anxiety and worry like before we're even there. And that's not really helpful because then it's just like turning on those stress hormones, like pumping unnecessary things through our body. And so we can go into action from that by creating this sort of script for ourselves around, okay, what are a few ways I could respond and letting that sit in our bodies and recognizing, oh, that one actually feels really good. 
And like now I have it to whip out of my back pocket when I'm at the table. So I love that. Love, love, love it. It's doing the script with yourself a bit and maybe thinking about the person. Like, are Mm -hmm. they someone who likes levity? Are they someone who likes a little bit of a joke? You know, are they someone like a lot of times people say things because they don't really know what else to say, you know, like Mm -hmm. they're feeling uncomfortable within themselves too. And I think as challenging as it can be sometimes, especially with triggering family members, just remembering that, you know, just like we have our own uneasiness that causes us to take action that we sometimes wish we didn't, that very well could be playing out in them too. So that sense of compassion and not overly attaching yourself to their question, to their story either. Yes. And there's something, um, I think there's a book that you would love. Have you heard of um, Kasha Urbaniak? No. Okay. So she wrote this book called Unbound, A Woman's Guide to Power. It is freaking amazing because this woman was a none, but also a dominatrix at different points in her life. So she writes the book from the perspective of like, there are submissive ways to communicate and there are dominant ways to communicate. And we're constantly in flux and flowing between them. And when we learn to harness the power of when to use each of them, we become even more powerful communicators. This book, like any woman needs to read this book, but I would also encourage men to read this book. It's it's so, 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 so good. And so when I'm thinking about what we're talking here, there's, there's a concept that she talks about called turning the spotlight. And so basically it's where if you need a second to calm down, turn the spotlight and ask a question, ask the other person a question because then they have to reflect as well. And it gives you a second to, to calm down. And so in terms of the scripts, you had mentioned, you know, what do you can think about what type of thing that person likes or like how they might naturally approach a conversation. And that led me to thinking another powerful thing we can do instead of, Instead of just um, thinking about how we're going to react to someone else, what if we came up with questions that we could ask ahead of time that keep the conversation going in the direction that we want it to go? I love that. And even just changing the tide of things, right? Like we don't love being pinpricked into our lives. And so it's like we can model a new way by showing a way to communicate that's not that button pushing, but just a way to be in an experience with each other rather than trying to like check up on everyone's resume or get into the personal details of their lives. (laughs) Exactly. And so Jeff and I, Jeff and I actually did this. We started doing this with some friends because there were some friends that we were around in, you know, like in more casual settings. And when you, when you haven't been around friends for a while, it, it feels like the game is always like catching up on life, but that's like, can be really boring. And so, and so we started coming up with like, before we would go out, we were like, what's the question of the day? Like, what are we asking people today to like jumpstart a conversation? And it makes things way more interesting because like Thanksgiving, for example, the standard question is, is what are you grateful for? And like, come on. Okay. We can get more creative than that. Last year, Jeff and I put together like 18 questions 15 to 18 in a pumpkin. And we had people 
pull them out. And then we went around and talked about that rather than like all of this nonsensical, just catching up on life. Like, are you going to get, are you going to give me grandchildren anytime soon? (laughs) So, so I think, you know, we can, we can surprise people and we can nourish other people with conversation that goes against the default script. And it takes a little bit of effort, but the results, like the amount of like nutrients, like relational nutrients Mm. that we get from a conversation that's fulfilling instead of draining is totally worth that like extra five minutes of visualization on the front end for how we want it to go. Agreed. And what's so beautiful about that is you start creating new ways of relating to these people. So rather than just thinking of them as the person who's hard to talk to or that triggers you, instead, you're able to really enjoy like that memory of those 18 questions. Like I love imagining the pumpkin at the middle of your table. And, you know, of course, you probably wouldn't have trouble coming up with questions. But I really want to encourage people. There's so many really fun, funny, witty conversation starter decks. Like you can, if you shop at, you know, Amazon or you go to your like a fun local bookstore. I'm thinking of the one that I have local that always has those great things. Like they'll help you with it too, you know? So just... It, it can even be nice and easy like that. For sure. And I have totally Googled the questions. Like I, yeah. I can definitely, there are some that I came up with and added there, but I started from Googling for sure. And there's a card game called like, we're not really strangers. Like you could just totally whip out some questions from that, from that deck for sure. So there's one other thing that you were talking about that I think is really important when it comes to like, what are all the ways that we figure out how the heck to nourish ourselves during Mm -hmm. stressful times? And, you know, the holidays don't always have to be stressful, but sometimes because of the dynamics and things that are going on, like they are for a lot of people. So you were talking about patterns and, you know, anyone who's a listener of this show knows we talk about patterns all day long. So I love patterns. And I love what you said about let's not be surprised that something is a pattern. And if it's been a pattern for a significant period of our life and we have just gone along with it, maybe we haven't named it, we haven't acknowledged it, like let's not be surprised that it's there. Like it's a pattern for a reason. It's not always this like evil thing. Like it developed it developed to support us in some way. So by naming it and recognizing it, like the the first step is not instantly to go to judgment. And I love, love, love that you brought that up. So I thought it might be helpful to just like recognize some patterns that might come up for people in these scenarios. So the first one that comes to mind for me is like, okay, if you're in a situation where these core needs that you've been talking about, Laura, like safety, security, love, you know, self-expression, being able Mm. to be heard. If you're in a setting where it's been a pattern where you haven't been able to get those needs met, where you've been like, "Mm, I don't, I don't really feel safe around this person. Or like, it doesn't feel safe to just like be me around this person. Maybe the pattern is, okay, I'm just going to distract myself with food. I'm just going to eat because then I'll be chewing and I don't even have to worry about using my voice. Like that's a very natural pattern and it it's very reasonable that that might develop. Can you think of other ones 
that we can just like normalize. Yeah. And I think like, you know, just kind of speaking to the overarching message, like Mm -hmm. when, when you have those uncomfortable situations, when someone triggers you, is it for a lot of times it's things like, well, wait a second. Like that's a question I don't even have answered for myself. (laughs) So that's the rise that comes up. Like, Ooh, you're asking me that question. Mm -hmm. but I've been asking myself that question too. And so I think it can just be so reassuring. It's almost again, like, you know, we talk about holiday prep as in like buying your gifts and meal prepping and doing all these things to be ready. But what if holiday prep is getting your toolkit ready to really center and steady yourself? Like what is life, but yet like an unfolding of the answers to questions. So can we build ourselves up and tell ourselves like, it's okay if if there's there's an answer in process here, like Mm -hmm. give ourselves the soothing the connection, the belonging and the trust that like, we don't feel like we're getting from the other people. Like once yeah. if we could gift it to ourselves instead. Yes, absolutely. Like I, I, I love that because, you know, in a previous episode, I've talked about one of the ways of like one of the simple ways to start working with your inner child. And like the reality is, is a lot of times when we're around family in particular, you know, we remember past versions of ourselves. We feel we, some family members can trigger us into feeling like we're three again. And so mm-hmm. at some point though, it's our responsibility to meet the needs for our inner child and to nourish ourselves, not just trying to expect it or demand it from all of these people around us. Now, when it comes to the holidays, it can be particularly hard because these were the people who, who a lot of times, you know, were supposed to be the ones who helped us get our needs met. But for many different reasons, they didn't. And so in the, in the previous episode, I talk about having a baby picture of myself on my desk and I talk to it like every day I talk to it. (laughs) I talk to her and it's one of the easiest ways to start like, okay, wait, I am responsible for you now. So I love what you're saying around. Yeah. Like being empowered. Like what if we can source it from ourselves rather than sourcing it from the people around us? I want to pick your brain on something else too, though, because when it comes to food, there are a lot of people that I have worked with have, you know, and, and we work on the emotional release of things of limiting beliefs, of parts, of patterns, things that keep you stuck. And that always has a relationship with, with food in some dimension. And so I've known many people who use food almost as a boundary because they don't actually know how to communicate boundaries. And that is a very normal pattern that can come up and our boundaries can get tested in these Mm -hmm. holiday table scenarios. So for people who have historically protected themselves by consuming food, what tips have you got for them? I love that. So let's normalize. Like something that I love about food is it is an effective soother. Mm -hmm. And I think so often we're hearing like, stop emotional eating, stop treating with food. But what is often happening for many of us is we're trying to give ourselves the treatment, the medicine, the care of food, but we're berating ourselves. We're beating ourselves up as we're doing it. And we're not fully here for the experience. So whether you're at the holiday table or your typical breakfast table, my loving encouragement to you to start practicing now 
is to be there for the experience that so many of us say that we love. Oh, I love food. I love this food. Like sometimes a lot of people have fear around food, right? Like if they've been getting into morality around food and things are good or bad or they're they're wrapped up in a lot of um, dichotomy around on plan, off plan, uh, coming to the table can have a lot of anxiety. But even for those people, there's typically like, there's an off valve because it's not our, it's not in rhythm. It's not in natural way of like feeding the human spirit, feeding the human body. So even when we try to have control, there's typically like the thing we'll go to, whether it's the Friday night after a work week or the specific food that we finally go to when we've had enough. And wherever you see yourself along that spectrum, I would love for you to bring some awareness of how you hold space for yourself when you're there. Mm -hmm. And it's incredible how significantly and quickly things can shift when you just let yourself be in the experience, connecting with your senses, telling yourself what you like about this. You know, it could be a fleeting moment. The thing that we're looking to food to be pleasurable for could only last for five minutes, but the least we could do is give ourselves that five minutes of savoring it and receiving to your point, the nourishment and the more holistic nutrients from it, not just like what's the nutrient density of the mm -hmm. food, but what's the greater message of what I'm trying to do with this food. I think I have an example of this to, to bring it back together for people. So like, for example, people who have, have heard me talk for years, like I have an obsession with, it used to be peanut butter cups, but I have transitioned to now being obsessed with keto cups, particularly the hazelnut butter ones. And, you know, these were the things because I have a sweet tooth. Like I eat a mostly keto diet, but I don't, but I have a sweet tooth. And, and I'm not going to deny that. Like, and so when I go and I have a keto cup, like the best thing for me to do is to savor it. Like not be thinking about the fact that I like deny myself from it or I shouldn't be eating it. Like, no, I, I just know that I, I have a way that I break them up so that I can eat them at the desired amount that I, that I is good for me. But what would happen in the past when I was procrastinating snacking more is I would go and it was just more of an unconscious thing. Like before I named it procrastinate snacking, it was just an unconscious trip. Like let me go get a sweet thing to distract myself from whatever's going on, whatever I'm feeling at the moment. Now when I do it, because it has a name, I can almost check in and be like, it's a conscious choice. So I don't think by any means that we should never procrastinate snack. Like I, I, I learned one time, you know, like food was one of the most soothing things. Like it's one of the first like mm -hmm. connecting experiences we have. And especially like if you're breastfed, like you're like, you have to get needs met through food and other people have to help you meet them typically. So the fact that we find comfort in food and in gathering and being around food with other people, like that's primal. It goes back mm -hmm. to the beginning. So to deny ourselves and say like, oh, I'm never going to get comfort from food or it's bad to get comfort from food, we're just setting ourselves up to fail. I think there's so much power though when it becomes a conscious choice. Like now, sometimes I will say, I understand that I am having resistance. I understand that I am having some emotion and I am choosing right now 
to go alleviate or ameliorate that feeling with this keto cup. Do you have thoughts it on that? It changes it. Yes. <laughs> no, it changes it so much. And that, like, thank you so much for bringing it back to, you know, the beginning for us, you know, where we show up with, you know, just having our needs met by our caretakers. And we associate like the oral stimulation of food, of feeling mm. our bellies get filled, that very primal sensation of hunger going away. We're typically being snuggled, you know, we're warm. So there's so many things like touch is love, food is love, nourishment is love, like that oral uh, sensory experience too. And so, you know, to your point, recognizing like when we, and I know you and I have lovingly geeked out about this before, like the whole Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And just again, going back to like, let me care for myself in this moment and recognizing that procrastinate snacking is an expression of care. It has a ceiling, right? Where you're like, ooh, darn it. It's like having more of the procrastinate snacking isn't going to help. But the more you can stay in it and receive the fullness of what it has, the more you're able to get like filled up by it and cared for by it so that you're ready to move on because it's almost like you paid yourself in comfort first and then you get to go do the thing that you were avoiding. Mm-hmm. Yes. So as you were talking, it reminded me, so, so in terms of like the boundaries thing, because I think this is another example where so, so many people were not taught how to set boundaries. I mean, Jeff is is amazing with boundaries. And so I've learned even more <laughs> about them and not having two porous of boundaries like since we've been together. And it's and it's like an unfolding. Like no one's gonna be perfect at boundaries overnight. And it's constantly like like it's my mission to be like great with my boundaries, but there's no like marker when that's done. It's just kind of like a feeling and what comes up and like Oh, are you having less moments of when you realize someone has crossed your boundaries and you didn't do something about it? Um, but food, food and boundaries are interesting because sometimes people put on weight literally to have more of a barrier, more of a boundary because underlying emotional things are happening. And so I think one of the questions that, that can be good is like, okay, am I using food as a boundary right now? Mm-hmm. And sometimes the answer might be yes. Yeah. And and if you can sit there and say like, okay, am I using food as a boundary right now? Yeah. Is that the best course of action for me right now? Is that what feels like, am I, and am I okay with that right now? Like, and if the answer is yes, like we should, I think we can stop the judgment there. Now, if, if it keeps happening or you have that tiny voice inside where it's like, I wish there was another way or mm. I want I would like to be able to express this boundary. You know like sometimes if you're just going to like put another spoonful of of I don't know what are we going to use this time turkey like some turkey with gravy if you're going to put another spoonful of that in your mouth like just because it's not worth engaging in that conversation right now totally fine. But if you have that voice where it's like I want to say something but I don't know how to do it with like respecting the boundaries. Then there's like a conversation around going back to the scripts. How do you want to be able to respond? Like, mm-hmm. what is a version of you with kick-ass boundaries 
what do they say in this scenario? Because you can have, you can have other things that you whip out of your back pocket. Like, like, Hey, I'm not actually comfortable talking about this. So I'm going to go in the other room for a hot minute Mm -hmm. or, or I'm curious, like what, what makes you think that that's an appropriate question to ask? Like, I think we could throw out those things at times too. We can, there are other ways to set boundaries, but if you have found yourself using food or just like wanting to keep your mouth shut around uncomfortable conversations, I think bringing awareness to that can be helpful. And then it allows you to make a decision of like, okay, which path am I going to go forward from here. And I think one of the things with setting that next element of a boundary is first deciphering how you actually feel. So when you work with people and you have someone who is, you know, has this relationship with food where it's being used as a coping mechanism in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, which again, totally normal thing. But what what are some ways that you found people can get in touch with the underlying emotion? I love that. Um, and I'm so grateful that you brought up those examples too, because what we're doing in this conversation is helping people visualize it. I feel I keep having the imagery of being at the table and I really want to encourage us that we can do this going into situations and, you know, boundaries, they, you can have like an A, B or C response for yourself. Like you said, if I'm feeling super confident, what would I say? Like, if I'm looking to be in the middle ground, what would I say? And just kind of prepping yourself before that. So even the ideas of like, I'm going to go into the other room because I don't want to participate in this conversation, but you can finish up this one that you want to have. So that's almost like that compassion piece where in a sense, like you're setting the boundary, like I don't engage in this, but you are your own person and you can use your voice how you choose to. And so it's really beautiful to recognize all of that. And you know, just giving like thinking about being at the table for more examples. Like if you're in the moment, you've already referenced how we can just take a moment to get a little bit of of relief. And so whether you go to a room where no one's in, or you go to the bathroom, or you go out to your car, and I am such, I mean, nervous system regulation is what you're looking for in this moment, right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's so great to see you be like wholehearted, full body, yes. Because, and there's so many practical ways to go about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, even something like an equal part breath. You know, you don't need to get yourself into some fancy breath work or press play on a meditation. You literally can go into your private space for a moment, put a hand on your belly, a hand on your heart, and just count your inhales and match that count with your exhale Mm -hmm. and say like, I am here for myself in this moment. And give yourself, my gosh, 30 seconds, you're noticing it. Two minutes, you are a changed person. <laughs> yes. Nervous system regulation is is like the thing, the thing. And that's why, you know, like I have I have an NLP background, neurolinguistic programming. It's very, it's very heady. It's which and I love it. It's amazing. It does wonderful things. It's it's uh, efficient, but also not sufficient where we need more. And so I went down path of like, okay, what is the nervous system role in this? Like, how is it playing the rest of the part just from 
from things I had. Like I had this weird thing for years where I didn't like to be touched like in this certain way and it would totally like dysregulate my nervous system. And so I love the tip you gave about the breathing. Um, Another one that has worked for me is just like when you feel dysregulated, which first off, people don't always know when they're dysregulated. So if you find yourself using coping mechanisms or getting defensive when you wouldn't normally be, or, you know, wanting to snap or feeling shaky, like those could be signs that you might, your nervous system might be off. You're having really short breaths. Um, one of the ones that worked for me is just like paying attention to your feet instantly. Like where your feet, are they on the ground? And then like trying to wiggle your toes and then just like moving up your body. And you can do that without having to leave the room. Nobody has to know that you're just like paying attention to your toes for however long it takes you to feel more grounded. Another one too that came up for me as you were talking could be like chewing, counting how many times you're chewing which is good for you in digestion anyway. So just like all of a sudden, like something's happening in front of you and you're just like, nope, this is chew number two. And now I'm going to only swallow when I get to 25 or something of the sort. I think like anytime we can bring presence back to another like physical sensation that's going on in our body, we can get out of the story that we're making. And again, like you've been talking about, like savor in the presence which can drastically help calm us down and bring us to to a state where where our body can function better for us. Absolutely. And I love that you mentioned, I mean, the grounding of your feet is such a beautiful one. And it is like, when you think about metaphorically, isn't that what we're looking to do is to feel secure, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the breathing one, I mean, you can decide with these things, like, do I need to remove the stimuli, the, the yeah. trigger, and give myself a moment? Or to your point, like, just like with your responses to people, you can kind of choose, like, am I capable of continuing to sit at this table and do the feet grounding or the breath work? Or reminding yourself, I love crafting intentional thoughts that generate an emotion that supports what you need in that time. So for example, like if you felt like when I go see family, I feel anxious, I feel out of control, I feel overwhelmed. I love, you know, recognizing, naming those emotions. And to your point, like we don't need to make those wrong, but then inviting ourselves, like if I could provide for myself the very emotional experience that I wanted to have, what would those emotions be? Mm. Maybe it's clear. Maybe it's grounded to who I am. Knowing who I am when I leave that table and go back to my life in my next day. And so again, almost bringing this preparation beforehand, like what would I need to tell myself in that moment? that could anchor me, that could give me some clarity. And I always tell people, and I will help clients like brainstorm these things. And I always say, use your metaphorical red pen, because in these moments, you don't need my voice. You need your voice to be the voice of truth, you know? And so it could be things like, I remember who I am. I remember what matters to me. I make my own choices every day to create the life that I want to live. This you know, decision is still in process, whatever it is that gives you that internal exhale. 
Yeah. And we don't have to, I think ultimately what that is a shift from is being at effect of a conversation versus feeling in our own power. And like we have choice because it's really, really easy, um, to feel like, to feel like we're the victim of other people's questions, but we can't control other people. Other people are going to ask stupid stuff. They have their own reason for asking it. Maybe they're asking you because they're trying to distract from something that they haven't had an answer to in their own life. We can't control what other people are going to do. We can, however, control all of the possibility we see for ourselves. And hopefully through elements of this conversation, you're seeing more possibility that's available to you, whether it's, you know, things with your nervous system, taking a breath, grounding, savoring the present moment, having some conversational scripts to piece out of the room if you need to, or, or to, to respond in a way that feels really, really good to you. So the, the other thing that that comes up around, around emotional processing is just, I find that sometimes expressing things that are unsaid beforehand can be helpful too. So Kasha in that book, Unbound, she has this exercise like things unsaid and she just has you list out like everything that you haven't said to different people. And I think that exercise going into an emotionally fueled potentially table, doing that beforehand can be awesome because we don't always, we don't always have to have the conversations if we can process it, you know, on our own. And it's just opens up another portal of possibility for this like emotional processing so that we can really one, enjoy the food in front of us and not feel Mm. guilty about what we're, what we're doing. Have you, have you had experience doing anything like that or? Absolutely. And I think where it was coming up so much for me is I've had a few experiences in my life where you know, the apology never came, right? Mm. Like you said, and a lot of times with these family members, there's old stories tied up the, you know, our inner child that wasn't cared for, or we still feel that rebel energy of our teenager. You know, (laughs) when you talk about the book and what I kept thinking was archetypes, like we are so filled with like so many aspects to ourselves and certain parts of them are going to come out. And in regards to you know, like we forgive for ourselves, right? Like the amount of peace that we get. And so, I mean, I've done things where I write a letter to myself from the quote unquote offender. Like Mm. if I could receive the apology that will likely never come, what words would I want to hear? Mm -hmm. And how can I let myself be cared for by those words? Even if they don't come from the person who, you know, added the insult, if you will. And that is so... Um, it is just so powerful and so affirming because you essentially give yourself the gift that you need. Like you become your own healer. You dose yourself the medicine that lets you move forward. So to your point, you can go into this new experience with just a little less attachments, right? We don't Mm -hmm. forget, but we remember that we have the final say over how we move forward. Yes, I love that. And it just reminded me of, you know, we can, we have the option of 
if we're going in as a clean slate or not. Like our emotions, a lot of times, a current event has nothing to do with the emotion that's being generated. Like I talk about identifying the timestamp where a lot of times our emotions are coming from because something that's happening in the now feels like something that's happened in the past. And so if we can get really, really good at recognizing the timestamp around what is unfolding or what's causing this emotion, then we can kind of let the present be whatever it is. And it points us to something else. And now if you have, if, if you recognize that and it's like, oh, like, okay, sometimes even that gives awareness. Sometimes there might be something deeper that needs to heal there. But in that present moment, if you can recognize it, it frees you up to be like, oh, I'm not, I don't need to look at you from that same lens because you're not the person who did this to me or this isn't the mm. same situation. And now you can like start to see things more clearly, which is not only a gift to yourself, it's a huge gift to everyone around you. Absolutely. I love, you know, oftentimes to your point, awareness comes from self-inquiry, a little bit of curiosity and a question that always can be helpful for me and for people that I work with is, am I responding to the present or am I wrapped up in my emotional history? Like, am I taking the fear, the injustice of before and am I cutting and pasting it into now? And (laughs) to your point, even just the labeling of it, the naming of it can diffuse it. It's like, yeah, this is still frustrating, but I'm, I don't need to layer on the past 20 years of frustration on top of it. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that question because I like, there's so many things where questions are just like a secret superpower. And it's why I love coaching because it's all about like listening and then finding the right question and not needing to be wedded to one question. And so, you know, if the question Laura just asked resonates with you, great, use it, use it all the time. I, I personally love that one. If it doesn't, if you need a different version of it, like, great. There's, there's another question out there that is like perfectly designed to help unlock things. And this trying on of different questions, I find adds a lot of beauty to one conversations and, and two, like the getting to know ourselves and like allowing ourselves to take down some of the walls that we've built over the years to protect ourselves and see who we are in a new, in a completely new light. I love that. And it is, it's, I mean, I think the questions can come up when you feel safe within yourself to ask those questions, knowing full well that the answer might not come easy, or you might not love the answer to your point. The answer might reveal this might take a little time, or I might need a little support, but then it lets you see the situation more clearly because a lot of times we think, why am I freaking out over this thing? And it's like, oh, wait a second. It's not just this. This is reminding me, you know, this is connected to so many other things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have, I think I want to talk a little bit more around some of the food dynamics. Part mm. of this is selfishly, because something that I, I uh, am constantly like, 
wondering about is like food has become such a focal point of social situations where it's like if you're meeting up with a friend you haven't seen in a while, it's like, do you want to get a coffee? Do you want to get a drink? Like, like there's no like, do you want to go to the park as much? I have one friend who our thing is like we go on walks, which I absolutely Mm -hmm. love because it doesn't put food at the center of it. And so for a lot of people, food brings stress, whether it's because they've dealt with food scarcity in their life, whether it's because, you know, they're, they're not happy with their relationship with food right now, or they're not happy with their body. And so sitting down, like they're having to make 15 million decisions about what they're going to do. And that's just stressful and annoying and like difficult, or, you know, maybe, maybe in the past you've had an eating disorder. And so you feel okay now and in your everyday life. But when you go home and you're at the table where it was, it's worst, all of those things are coming, are coming back up. And so I know that you, you have an immense amount of compassion for people who are going through these elements of stressful times with food. So do you have any tips for people as we go into a time where, again, the gatherings end up being food, food driven? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Thank you for that question. Um, I think the first thing is, like you said, seeing the multidimensionality of food. Like you said, it's culture, it's celebration, it's connection. And, and so letting yourself recognize like, well, no wonder I feel a lot about this. There's a lot to this. And in a sense, recognizing that can actually de-emphasize the food a bit. Mm -hmm. So whether it's like music that you're really excited about, or maybe um, for years, I used to do a yoga class every Christmas morning at the local studio. And it was like, what are some other things that I want to bring into this experience that make the gathering time special besides Mm -hmm. the food and really turning up the volume on those things. Even if it's just like two things, let yourself really extract all the richness from that so that there's a little less calm or a little more calmness around the food. So that can be a big help for sure. Additionally, I love the idea of when you're going into food like food environments, especially things like holidays or things where you think, oh gosh, there's a chance that I may overeat. There's a chance that I may get stressed around food decisions, whether that's because you are um, doing an elimination diet or you have allergies and you're wondering, I mean, there's so many reasons why going out to an outing can be stressful. And so you can set yourself up for success by paying yourself first. And so whatever you deem to be self-care, something that not only feels soulful in the moment, but pays good dividends that will carry you into the next thing, fit that in. You know, even if you have to be at an event for, you know, in the morning, be willing to set your alarm, whether it's 10 minutes earlier to, you know, really savor that cup of coffee or take the walk with the dog or do the journaling or go do some yoga. I mean, you know, what could be self-care to me could be, 
self-sacrifice to you. So I want to be careful with my suggestions here, but just this idea of how do I fill myself up? Because like we were talking about before, that's going to bring you into the environment with more nervous system regulation. So rather than feeling like your back's up against a wall and you feel like maybe there's a singular choice or only two bad choices, it's going to let your creative and curious brain stay online more so that those very same situations can go a lot more smoothly. Yeah. So that it can roll off your back. You can see more possibilities. I I love, love, love that. So I just want to, I want to circle back to one thing you said, because recently I was on the, I, I can't eat gluten in general. So like Mm -hmm. going out and going to someone else's house, like I constantly feel like, oh my God, how bad is my stomach going to hurt? And a lot of us have that. We have these things where it, where it does add stress. So I love what you said around identifying what you need and being okay with doing that beforehand. So like for me, if I'm going to a potluck and like, I know that I can't really ask or everyone's contributing. Like if one person's cooking and I'm going to their house, I know I can ask them and they'll know. But if there's like 15 different dishes, I'm like, what's going to kill me? Um, I'm like, I, I bring something in my purse or I like eat a snack beforehand so that if there's something there that I can enjoy, like I can enjoy it and, and great. But if there's not, I'm not then like sulking in the corner upset that I couldn't eat. And it's like, what do what do we need to do for us? I love that you you asked that because ultimately I feel like there's this overarching script that gets run for the holidays. Like Thanksgiving, you know, you all show up, you're eating turkey, you're eating the mashed potatoes or whatever your ritual is around it, but there's there's usually one for for families and it becomes this like default script. But it doesn't have to be that especially if we start to question it now. And I love, love, love what you said around what else can be brought to the gathering. There's this amazing book called The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. Have you read it? Yes. Okay. Yes. So good. (laughs) Where it's basically like, you don't have to do the default of the gathering. Like, what do you want it to be? We're wedding planning right now. And she has an example in there where it's like, is the wedding for you and celebrating with your friends or are you doing it for your parents? Like Jeff and I are old. We We don't, it's, we're not doing it like for the sake of my parents. We're doing it for us. So the remaining invites might go to a few friends of ours versus like extended family. So the same can be true for the holidays. And you brought up such an amazing example and I love it and I just need to point it out. So there are the people who cook and there are the people who make everything about like, what am I contributing? And it has to do with the food. But like having some awesome killer Thanksgiving playlist If you don't want to cook, like say you're making a killer Thanksgiving playlist, like bring the tunes and make it awesome so that there's more to the gathering than just being around the table with the food. Or maybe, you know, you're a card game person and you learn about a new game and so you coordinate like some tournament with a game or or you set up the family like playing flag football or something like what else can be there? I love, love, love that you brought that up because it doesn't all have to be about the food. I love that. Thank you for those examples too. And I mean, a lot of people love the whole like, 
I'm going to let's go for a walk outside after having this meal or just thinking of ways. And like you said, to that point of how many events have we been at where we just like sit at the table the whole time. And so when you can bring the focus to a game or, you know, talking about the questions or going for a walk or something like that, it lets things have more than just the food experience. And then the piece is, is that when you care for yourself beforehand, in the moment, maybe if you're having those moments of, oh, everyone else gets to have all the things and I don't, you can remind yourself of how you cared for yourself before Mm -hmm. and maybe even set an intention of how you'll care for yourself after. Because a lot of times what can happen is, is that because we feel deprived, we can often overeat like the one thing we can have. And we're like, why am I going back for my fourth serving of these mediocre potatoes? But they're the one thing you can have, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm curious. We we should just add this on here around deprivation because from my experience, deprivation does not go well. When I feel like I can't eat my damn peanut butter cup, it doesn't it doesn't go well. And I used to have a weird relationship with food because um, my mom has always made good homemade homemade meals. She cooked for us growing up. But I dated a guy in high school whose dad like just didn't use stuff out of cans. Like it wasn't ragu pasta sauce. It was like he was like like sauteing an onion for hours and letting it unfold and then cooking like a four-hour pasta sauce. And so when when I was there, something weird happened with my relationship with food where I felt like I never knew when I was going to get one of those meals again. And so I, I started eating more and eating more and ignoring like the signs from my body of when I was hungry and when I wasn't because there was a sense of like, oh, I might not get this again. Like, uh, this, this feeling of like, I'm depriving myself. I might not get it again if I don't, if I don't eat it now. And so I would overeat and then it ruined my, my body's ability or my ability to interpret my body's signals of when I was actually full for a very long time until I rewired that shit. So I, I am forever in a day. I don't like the deprivation that comes up around diets. That's why I say like, I eat mostly keto do I eat keto 100% of the time? No, but I eat it most of the time. And I don't, I, it's always been like a lifestyle thing to me because I can't, I can't do the diet approach. And that led me to losing like 30, 30 pounds at one point, which is weird and crazy to say. And I don't normally talk about that, but, mm. um, so, so what are your thoughts? What do you see around deprivation? Because again, the holidays can be a time when it feels like if you've been working hard the whole year to be so good and like you've had these goals and then it can just feel like either you're going to blow it, but then you're being deprived. What's the mindset? What's the mindset people can go in with? Yes, there is so much here, like entire (laughs) podcast episode about this. And it's a beautiful conversation. So truly, thank you for bringing it up because people do need to be supported here. And I too really encourage like a big thing is like, I help you create a life that you don't want to run away from Mm -hmm. one that feels sustainable and sustains you. And ultimately, like you said, we help people learn how to ask themselves the questions that generate the response of the life that they actually want. So I mean, so like the depth, the heart of the heart is really getting clear on 
is my life between January and November? Is that one that is actually aligned with my values? Like, is there a space where to your point, like, if you really love some of those holiday foods, and you find that you feel out of control around them, you try even if you're someone who has body composition goals or sports performance goals, and you're following a more therapeutic way of eating, if you will, most of the time, like, trust me, I can help you get to a place where those things can fit in and they won't derail you Mm -hmm. from what matters most to you. So I think a big piece is like the long-term solution is to end the source of deprivation. But it's also really important to remember that deprivation starts in our minds too. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's a false deprivation. Like, I mean, I love to travel and I've been in Italy where I tell myself like, you may never be at this restaurant ever again. And you know, it's like the panic sets in and you're like, what do I do about this? And there's a lot of ways to go to it. There's one is recognizing, can we normalize occasional overeating? For most of us, regularly overeating feels terrible. It gets us away from sleeping well. We get indigestion. We don't feel good in our bodies. You know, I mean, I could go on and on. You don't need me to. There's a reason why most people have are challenged by that. But there's a sense of, can we normalize it a little? And there's a place, right? Like if I'm thinking about you in high school, getting that, you know, nourishing food, it was like you could have almost pushed yourself a little bit past and let yourself get full because you're like, these are my favorite meals. But again, it's that presence, right? It's like I give myself permission to get a little fuller than full at this meal because this is a special one. But because it's special, I'm not going to bring in the anxiety. I'm not going to welcome fear to the table. I'm going to let myself soften around the beauty of this experience and think, wow, isn't this amazing that the chef cooked an onion for so long to make the pasta sauce taste so much better? Like let yourself see the fullness of the experience and watch the deprivation thoughts in your mind. Like no one is keeping you from putting food in your mouth or making Mm. you put food in your mouth. And so remembering your personal power is so important. And that can often give you a bit of illumination of where maybe you can soften and still reach your goals, but not be white knuckling so much about the details, about what's allowed and what's not. Does that make sense? Yes. I love that. And the piece I would add to it is again, like going back to the timestamp because it took me a long time to realize like, so, so then I like overate too much because I didn't have the right mindset, like going into those meals where it's like savoring it and like, but knowing like realistically I could get it again or knowing like, Hey, I could learn to cook like this. And ultimately that's what I ended up doing is I was, I just learned to love cooking and now I can make it whenever the hell I want. So it's like, and, and I don't have to, I don't have to eat a ton of it. So, um, but one of the things that has come up since then, because I, I truly had to rewire that thought process, which didn't take forever, but it, it did take time to like learn to get in touch with my body's like full signals again and whatnot. But two things that I did, because they're both jumping out at me at the same time and I can't distinguish them in this conversation clearly right now. <laughs> the first one is I started saying my body is an excellent communicator. So that... 
I could respect the fact that my body does give me signals and sometimes I just muddy up understanding them. But my body is an excellent communicator. The second thing that happened is recognizing, okay, now there are times where if Jeff and I go out to eat, we love sharing food. Like at home, you typically eat the same meal and you get to talk about it and whatnot. When we go out to eat, you don't always end up doing that. And so everybody's having this separate experience, but Jeff and I love to share, but there are times when the plate is in front of me. And if I feel like there's like a last bite or something, I can get triggered back to that time period in high school where it was like, I don't feel like I'm getting enough or or I'm worried that if I want more, I can't have it. And so there are times like in this present moment with Jeff where that can get triggered. And I have to recognize, no, this isn't about this moment. It's not about this bite right here. This is bringing up old, old feelings. And recognizing that helps like alleviate so, 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 so much. So I think everything you're saying about the present moment, like has just rang so true with, with my experience as well. And there was one other thing, because I'm just like rife with examples today, apparently, (laughs) but (laughs) there's one other thing that you said around, um, trusting that it's not going to derail your goals. And I will say that was a really, really tough one for me because there was a point where I reached a weight that I was like, oh yes, this is right where I want to be. I'm so happy with it. And it's easy for my body to live here. When it started to creep back up or we would go on vacation and then I'd come back and the scale was higher. For a long time, I didn't have the wiring where I trusted that I was going to stay at this lower point. And so it brought up the anxiety and I felt like it was kicking in like the deprivation cycle and whatnot. And it took, it took time to see that what you eat on one day Mm -hmm. is if you're largely doing what you want to be doing is not going to transform the scale for a week, two weeks, three weeks. Mm -hmm. Giving yourself the grace to learn that trusting process, I will hands down be the first person to tell you, like I understand it's difficult, but giving yourself the grace to to allow that to unfold and to be able to see that like, wait, my body, I am allowed to take things in. I'm allowed to take things in that aren't always good for me. Like I will go eat the flourless espresso chocolate cake from Capital Grill like multiple times a month because it's freaking delicious and know that that sugar bomb is not going to like completely derail all the rest of the choices that I make. So that trusting process that you came up with, I just wanted to touch on because it it was huge, 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 huge for me to be able to learn that okay, if the scale goes up for a little bit, like I know that the daily choices I'm making, it's going to go back to where I want it to be. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And I think the reason why we often don't, we have to learn that trust is because we, most of us have cycles where we eat because we ate or, well, because I had, you know, that chocolate cake on the rest of the night, the week, the month is spent. And so Mm. we don't have accurate data. We think, oh my gosh, if I give myself an inch, it's over. And it's like, what was if I gave myself an inch and I just gave myself an inch? And I savored that inch so that I didn't need six inches. (laughs) Exactly. And, but to your point, like we're learning, your brain is learning new data points and 
it does take a bit of emotional regulation to say, I'm, I'm doing something new here. I'm showing myself that what I do the majority of the time now, mm-hmm. I always say like, the dose is either the medicine or the poison. That's like one of my favorite things mm-hmm. to think about because there is so much more grace than we give ourselves credit for. So I really appreciate that example. Um, that I love that you shared just about deciding to learn how to cook that talking about intentional questions, like you, the question for yourself here about when you were overeating at your ex-boyfriend's house was what is the wisdom here? Like, what is life calling me into? And it was teaching you, like, I love the art of a beautifully crafted meal. Mm -hmm. Like the nourishment isn't just about the 15 minutes it takes for me to consume the plea. It's about the art form that goes into the cultivation of it. And you chose to become a a, a little home chef, but (laughs) other people might find their favorite restaurants where they can say, you can taste that chef's love. You Mm -hmm. can taste their care of the ingredients. And that is self-care, gifting yourself the experience of going to that restaurant and receiving meals like that regularly. So even if it's not the same restaurant in Italy, it's like you don't need to taste the same love craft meal from the same person to be getting filled up by that uh, piece that's in alignment with your mm. values. I love that. I love that. I love that. It's so, it's all about bringing things to the surface, being conscious about them, which, you know, is the entire point of this show. Like make it mentionable. Like if it operates beneath the surface, if we have this like secretive relationship with food where we're constantly feeling guilty, like it's not serving us. And so what, what needs to be brought to, to the surface and hopefully some things that you've been thinking about have been made mentionable during this episode. And I just want to add, if you liked Laura's thoughts on self-care before and after, I just have to plug here, Dr. Sophia Town, she did it. She came on the show. We did an episode and she has this amazing article around what is self-care really. And so if you go to elisapatmus.com forward slash show and search Sophia Town, that episode will come up because I can't remember what number it is at the moment. Um, that, that conversation around truly identifying what is self-care for you. And she also has that article out, um, is a great, great launching point to continue what Laura was talking about with self-care. Thank you so, so much for being here, Laura. It was my joy. Thanks for inviting me to be a part of the conversation. All right. I will catch you next week. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. You've just finished listening to another episode of Make It Mentionable with me, your host, Alyssa Patmus. And if you're looking for more in-between episodes, then sign up for The Peel. It's my free newsletter that gives tips for how to navigate whatever life dishes. And it's also the place where I share the juiciest of stories. To check it out, head on over to alyssapatmus.com forward slash The Peel. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you next time.